0: Almost all of us play category-based fantasy baseball, but there's a whole nother way to play. We'll talk about that and more with Jeff Barton from Scoresheet Baseball, next on Baseball HQ Radio.
1: Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. (laughs) And here's your host, from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt.
0: And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Tuesday, March the 24th. It's show number 16 of the 2020 Fantasy Baseball season. I am Patrick Davitt, your host, and we do have another great Tuesday Tout Edition for you. We'll talk with Jeff Barton from Scoresheet Baseball about what makes simulation-style fantasy baseball a different kind of game, how Scoresheet Baseball works, some players who look different in their sim uniforms, and his boons and banes. We'll also have our weekly commentaries from analysts at BaseballHQ.com. In the frequent flyer, Alex Becky looks at San Diego's primo pitching prospect, Mackenzie Gore. And in the three-minute warning, I'll have some unfortunate news about the Baseball HQ Radio podcast. It's another big Tuesday Town Edition. Thanks for joining us at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? We gotta talk some baseball. And in the first inning of this Tuesday edition, part one of our interview with our feature guest expert, Jeff Barton from Scoresheet Baseball. Jeff, welcome to Baseball HQ Radio. It's your first time. That's correct. Thanks very much for having me on. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I am too. Uh, we've spent some time together at first pitch, Arizona, and it was always a lot of laughs uh, out at the fire pit, as they call it, behind uh, one of the hotels that we stayed at, and a lot of good stories being told and a lot of laughs, and so uh, and a lot of baseball, of course, which is what we're going to do here. Uh, I- I'd like to start by just mentioning that you are the owner and operator of Score Sheet Baseball, and I imagine that takes up a lot of your baseball-related time, and maybe any other game would be kind of a busman's holiday. But do you play other formats, and if so, what are they?
1: Um. I don't on a regular basis. I usually get talked once a year into drafting in a industry type league, and those are usually in the straight five by five rotisserie formats. But yeah, score sheet is a um, more than a full time job, and I kind of get my baseball fill out of running it and playing on various score sheet leagues. But you know, every year I play like one rotisserie league, so I have some
0: experience in that. And do you play score sheet baseball as well as operate it?
1: I play it, but not well. Um, I'm <laughs> really not a. I, I'm proof that knowing how the system works does not guarantee being a winning manager. That what matters a lot more is picking the guy that's going to have the breakout year in real life. Um, but yeah, I play five or six teams a season.
0: Uh, Abner Doubleday couldn't hit, so uh, don't worry about it too, too much. Uh, so when and how did score sheet baseball get started, Jeff?
1: I mean, we started way back in 1987, right around the time Ron Shamley was starting Baseball HQ. Um, you know, it was just the very start of companies advertising in the sporting news back then saying they could run fantasy baseball sites, but my brother played in a rotisserie league and they didn't value walks, which has always been one of his favorite baseball statistics for some reason. He's always much more of an on base guy than a batting average guy. So he was a computer programmer, is a computer programmer. So he called me up and said, You know, this is looks like it's gonna be a a booming idea, this whole fantasy baseball thing, and I could write a computer program and we could play games that actually are a little more like real baseball. So in nineteen eighty seven we joined the group of companies that were running little classified ads in the sporting news and started up
0: and from the sort of 10,000 foot level give us an overview of what score sheet is and how it's different from the fantasy baseball that a lot of us play rotisserie style usually or points leagues but the the start us at the draft and walk us through to how the game is actually played
1: okay um the draft is fairly similar to a, re- you know, a regular system depending on whether people want to do their own live draft or they want to use our web draft system um, it's basically we're the same as other fantasy games we have people draft their teams before the season starts and then we use the current stats during the season to um, determine how teams do we're not like a lot of simulation games like Stratomatic or the old Pursue the Pennant or something that uses last season stats So the main difference is during the season, we don't have teams earn points or win categories. Instead, we play um, nine-inning simulated games using the pitcher and batter stats from that week's Major League action. So you don't have to worry about winning a steals category or a saves category. We just plug in the players' numbers, and each at-bat is The computer generates a probability of what will happen based on what the pitcher and hitter did that week and kind of rolls dice internally and says, okay, Mike Trout got to double this at bat, and the game plays at bat by at bat, nine innings or even extra innings if necessary.
0: And just just to be clear, if Mike Trout hits a single in the in the third inning of his game on Monday, that doesn't mean that his online or his computer simulated game he's going to hit a single in the third inning on on the first game of that week. It's all. The, the statistics that are amassed by Mike Trout and all the other players during the week are compiled and then used to create a simulation based on, as you said, some kind of computerized rolling of the dice and algorithm that says, based on all of the interplay of these various factors it's an 80% chance that Mike Trout's not going to, or a 70% chance that he's going to make an out, but there's some chance that he's going to make a single, a double, a home run, whatever the case might be, and then it just literally rolls those metaphorical dice, and, and that's how you get the the output for that particular at-bat and Mike Trout in that particular game. How many games do the do the teams play in a in a score sheet week? Um,
1: teams play six or seven games a week for a 152-game season, at least in normal times, not coronavirus times. And your explanation of the stats is spot on. It, the program will figure out a probability of every baseball action there is, that at bat, based on what Mike Trout did that week and what the pitchers he's facing did that week, and actually the the defense of the fielders behind the pitcher factor into it. So if he hit 300 for the week, he would if he faced an average pitcher and average fielders have a 30% chance each at-bat of getting a hit. But if he's facing a pitcher that got shelled that week in real life, and maybe each at-bat he'll have a 45% chance of getting a hit versus that type of pitcher. So in any one at-bat, exactly, we don't, we don't try to match the third inning of his second game of the week. We use weekly totals. But at the end of the week, if he's faced – pitchers who overall perform kind of like average, then if he hit 300 with two home runs that week in real life, he'll hit roughly 300 with two home runs for you. Um, And the same with the pitchers. If if they're facing kind of average batters and they had a 3.5 ERA that week in real life, they'll have roughly a 3.5 ERA that week in score sheets.
0: And all of this is compiled in a, in a head-to-head format. So, I, do I play my one hundred, uh, my six or seven games in a week? Uh, does my team play other teams in my league one time, one of them three, one of them four, just like real Major League Baseball does in series?
1: It, yeah, baseball schedules. So most weeks, the average week, you'll play two teams three times each. So you play two three-game series a week. Sometimes you'll play a couple two-game series and a three-game series in a seven-day week. But, yeah, it's serious. So it's all head-to-head. Uh, at the end of the season, you will have played you know, everyone in your division, say, 18 or 20 times, and maybe the teams in the other division 13 or 14 times, depends on the league size, to make up the 162-game schedule.
0: So, what happens at the end of the schedule is the pennant winner, like the old days, or the guy on top of the league just won, or is there a playoff structure uh, added on after that? And if so, how does that work?
1: Yeah, we have. Well, we have a couple leagues that still just want um, the overall winner to be the winner, so they just play in one division. But ninety nine percent of our leagues have playoffs, so we we use the season long stats for our playoffs, but we wait. September more heavily. So the player's stats in September are going to have more to do with the, in the playoffs than the stats for many months before September. We have people turn in lineup cards, actually, for the playoffs at the start of September. So they still have to keep that element of predicting how a guy is going to do. Because there have been simulation games around for a long time. An awful lot of people that are big baseball fans play maybe stratomatic as a kid or on table baseball or something like that those games just pass stats you didn't really predict how guys were going to do when you made your lineup so we try to you know we figure that's actually the most fun thing about fantasy baseball is picking players before the season starts and then making your lineups before the week begins so you don't know what people do you're kind of trying to guess who's going to do best. So the playoffs do the same thing, but we do have playoffs and they, they essentially use season long stats. Like I said, with September weighted more heavily.
0: As I understand it in score sheet, the owner puts in a lineup and makes some uh, gameplay tactical choices. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to uh, have a guy take 3-0 and or this particular guy take on 3-0 and because I, of this pitcher. There's some fielding adjustments that you can make as the owner. Uh, am I going to play the shift, that kind of thing?
1: Well, we do have people turn in lineups, and they do have strategy columns. We don't quite get down to that. It's not really a pitch-by-pitch pitch game. Um, so we don't have take on three 0 but we you tell you tell us on the lineup card which of your players you want to try to steal if the situation warrants and which ones you you don't because they're gonna get thrown out more likely than not. We have you tell us who you want to sacrifice in the correct situation and what inning to start sacrificing with and who not to. We have platooning, we have pinch hitting, you know, you set an actual lineup so it's not just who's my first baseman, who's my second baseman, but you set a regular batting order just like a real-life manager would do. And then the same thing, pitchers, you, you list your five-man starting rotation for the week, and then you list your bullpen o- pitchers in order that you want them to start if one of your starters is hurt or when they should come in, what what's the earliest inning they can come in, and kind of what the game score situation should be for this pitcher to come in so you're not using – Chapman, in a game that's a seven-run game, you know, you, you tell us what pitchers you want to come in in close games and what pitchers if you want to use as long relievers when the game's somewhat out of hand. So you get to do a lot of what a real manager does as far as the lineup and overall strategies for each player.
0: How does the time commitment compare, Jeff, for making this uh, fairly detailed lineup and all these batting order decisions and all the other tactical gameplay decisions? How does that time commitment compare to, you know, an an average guy in an average Roto League playing weekly moves every Sunday morning? He has to kind of get up and peruse the free agent pool and that kind of stuff and make his fab bids and stuff. How do those two time commitments compare in in your experience?
1: Well, I think in score sheet i sure this is a strength anymore, but when we started, we were, you said back, 87. We were assuming this was just kind of a a hobby that people weren't going to be nearly as fanatical about as they turned out to be. So we've kind of designed the game to where the time commitment can be, if you want, fairly low. Um, for one, we're a weekly game, not a daily game. You know, a lot of games are daily games these days, which... In baseball there's games every day for 6 months so a daily game requires quite a bit of maintenance um, we need a weekly game because we need really a week's worth of stats to make the simulation work well and then so that makes for slightly less time commitment you know you're only making a lineup once a week and then rather than have daily or weekly waiver wires we just have a draft once a month where people Everybody drafts two more players to add to their team to help fill holes. Um, so I think the time commitment will certainly can be actually as little as you want. Making out the very first lineup card, if you've never played scoresheet before, it's just like anything you've never done. That can take a little while, but once you make a lineup, in each week, unless you've made a really big trade during the week or something, you're more just kind of tinkering. You know? you, you're seeing that you're the third baseman you were starting is having a bad month, so you want to start your backup third baseman. But um, and some people just tinker with their lineup constantly. Trading is actually probably the biggest variable. If you're one of these guys that is constantly proposing trades to your league mates and all, you can spend a lot of time doing that. And if you're not much into trading, you can um, kind of let your team go. And then the draft in the preseason, we have a web draft that people seem to really like. And it it's kind of a slow draft. You know, It usually lasts a few weeks, and you put a list up on the web, and then most people change their list before every one of their picks. But you don't have to be logged on that when pick time comes. The program just picks from your list. So people that are really time-stressed can enter a big, long list and let it go. But most people... Once a day or so, go in and adjust the draft list a little bit, and there's roughly one pick made a day for their team. So I think it's, it's a little up to the individual how much or how little time they put in, but I think it, what most people find is it sounds like it's going to be a lot more time than a rotisserie team. And then, in fact, especially compared to daily games, it often turns out it's less
0: time-consuming. Well, you mentioned that these the games take place in a league context. Does Scoresheet, your company, assign people to leagues, or can 12 guys all contact you at once and say, look, we want to play in our own league with our 12 buddies, uh, all, all of us together, or can you do either way? Um, we do both.
1: If you want to join by yourself, then we'll put you in a league with um, our nine other guys. Most of our – we have – most of our leagues are ten team American league only, ten team national league only or some bigger size of combined leagues we draft for both leagues. But if you join along you tell us which type of those three leagues you want to be in, we'll put you in a league with other guys. Or if you just join with two or three friends, we'll we'll put you in a league with other people. Or if you want to have your own size league, you can have pretty much any size you want and then you can either draft yourselves or you can ask us to set up a a web draft if you're scattered around the country, or whatever you like. So it's kind of a join alone or join with friends. Either one works.
0: And did I hear you correctly to say if my 11 buddies and I want to have a draft around a conference room table somewhere, uh, sink a few beers, and uh, talk some smack to each other, we can draft our teams in an old-fashioned auction format or however we want to disperse the talent and then just give you the finished rosters?
1: That's correct, Um, and that certainly is the most fun way, I think, to do it, though I don't know what's happened to America. People are all busy or something, but on Canada, too. Um, You know, it used to be that we had probably half our leagues would do that. They would do their own draft. Maybe they'd have one guy call in on a conference call or something, but most of them would sit around the living room and draft live and send us the draft results and it's down to where maybe 10 or 15% of our leagues do that now and even the leagues where all 12 guys are friends most of them now use our web draft and the reason i keep hearing is they just can't find a day where 10 or 12 people can all take a whole afternoon off to drink beer with their friends which is kind of a almost a sad statement on affairs i
0: think <laughs> Maybe they were just getting a, a real long head start on social isolation.
1: Yeah, that, it is true that this year, sadly, almost all those leagues that did their own draft have been calling us for three or four weeks and saying, hey, you know, we've got someone in our group or three people in our group that are at risk and we don't want to get together, so schedule a web draft. Um, let's hope this whole isolation thing doesn't go on forever.
0: Oh, no kidding. It really is a thorn in everybody's side. Uh, We lost our Tout Wars draft this year because uh, nobody wanted to really travel to New York, given everything that was going on. And uh, I know a lot of people that travel to, to their old home drafts Because uh, I think one of the reasons that longstanding leagues have fallen off in the personal drafting area is because not only finding a day when everybody can, can manage, but finding a time when it's convenient for everybody to fly in and wherever the home city is and hotels and, you know, all that kind of stuff adds to the complexity. And it's a a fact of our modern societies is that we disperse, you know, as we get older, as we change jobs, a lot of us just move. And uh, my own home league, gosh, I started off when I was, you know, in in my late twenties and we had 12 guys for, you know, for the next 10 years, we probably drafted live in our hometown. And one by one, you know, this guy moves to Swift Current, that guy goes to Saskatoon, another guy moves to Toronto, one guy moves to Charlotte, North Carolina. And before you know it, it becomes a logistical nightmare to move and at that point you you do start taking advantage of communications technology to facilitate the draft but most of the drafts I played in when I was young, Jeff, were keeper leagues. And um, do you guys allow keeper leagues? Because it seems like this is really well set up to, to do uh, franchise building in a way that really is more realistic than any kind of other fantasy format out there that involves categories. You, you're playing actual games. Do you allow keeper leagues? Yeah, in fact,
1: um, I don't always know what what groups of friends are doing, but for the leagues we run where we find the owners and all that, probably 80% of our leagues are keeper leagues now. Um, so we, you know, we allow trading of draft picks up to a year in advance and we'll process the keepers and update rosters with everyone's keepers before the draft starts. So, yeah, that's a big part of Gore Sheet. I think it's a bigger and bigger part of the year of all fantasy baseball, but. As you said, I think for we are um, maybe a little better set up for Keeper Leagues because our pitches were kind of more like real baseball anyhow. And so, obviously, a Keeper League is more like managing a real-life franchise than a single season. I'm one of the diehards who like single season, so I do both. Because, you know, I just like the thought knowing that if I go into a room and I get lucky and pick number one out of the hat as far as drafting order, I can take Mike Trout or Lindor or whoever I want, number one. But I'm definitely in the minority as I said It's probably 80% of our leagues are keeper leagues. Um, and it certainly, you know, it, it adds a lot to the game, knowing that drafting minor leaguers matters. And, you know, if you're out of the pennant race in August because your best player got hurt, you have something to do because you can start making trades to build for next year.
0: And I assume that leagues that come to you fully formed or, or have formed over the years and our longstanding keeper leagues have their own rules about what constitutes a legal trade, vetoing, all that kind of nonsense that invariably pops up in trading leagues. But what about uh, single season leagues that uh, where you're bringing together strangers uh, if, through the site Do you you establish the rules of the league as far as trading is concerned and fab bidding and all of the acquisition processes that take place during the season because you don't have a a group of 12 people that may have already decided those things? Well,
1: um, I mean, we certainly set the rules for the draft works and lineup rules and roster size and all that. You know, we have, I don't know says we we really don't have that many trading problems i mean i won't say we never do you know once in a great while we'll just have two people that make a ridiculous trade Though so it's almost never two friends colluding to make one super team um i think you know sometimes it's more of a one kind of guy taking advantage of someone who maybe isn't paying as much attention but you know, we also don't offer cash prizes, and actually, almost any league that offers any kind of sizable cash prize doesn't allow any trading. Because if I thought I could win fifty thousand bucks, I'd have a lot more incentive to call my buddy and say, "Hey, here's here's a bag of baseballs giving trout." Um, so we don't, but we just don't have that much problem with trading. And actually, you know, well over half, probably sixty percent of our leagues the ones we put together with people that didn't know each other. But I don't know if it's something about the kind of guy that wants to play a simulation instead of just adding up points or what. But most of the guys that play our game, they just they understand that if you make a bad trade, it, it affects the whole league. And we just don't seem to have much problems with trades. And then the other rules, how many players you keep and all that, if it's a private league and they want to... You know, all we really need them to do is send in their rosters of so who's being kept every year. And if one team keeps three people and one keeps 13, and the team that keeps three gets to start drafting in round four, and the team that keeps 13 doesn't start drafting to round 14, we can accommodate that kind of thing. Or if they follow our regular rules, everybody keeps the same number of players and they all start drafting the same round. But we're fairly flexible as far as that if a league has its own custom rules
0: one thing a lot of fantasy owners like I think in sim style games is that they include fielding and we've never been able to really figure out a good way to include uh, a player's fielding ability as part of his overall value package in category based leagues or points based leagues because how do you do it I, the, the, the problem with it has always been what metric do you use because they're all kind of flawed in one way or another or they're too complicated to be used like you get you know um, range factors and these kind of things and you, you can't look at a box score and say oh good my player had a good range factor this week i must have got lots of points so the one of the advantages of sim leagues including uh, including score sheet is that you assign part of the player's value is derived from his ability or lack of ability to field his position
1: that's correct um we do it two ways a player's errors are pretty much treated just like hits or strikeouts or whatever they're based on how many errors they made that week in real life. Um, And then, obviously, if you have a team with a bunch of guys that make a lot of errors, Mark Simeon used to, um, your pitchers are going to give up more runs than they did in real life. Some of them might be unearned, but they're going to lead to more runs being scored by the other team. The other thing we do is we assign a, a range number to every player. Um, and that's one of the very few things where we actually use stats from last year. We actually use two years of stats because range is a range is a hard thing to quantify, like you said. So we get stats from a variety of places: zone rating, number of balls a person got to. We try to factor in things like how many strikeouts the pitching staff of their real team gets. Does that affects how many balls they had a chance to get to? And we do all that before the season, and then when we put our player list of the year, it'll say Bogarts is much below average, range, or Andrelton Simmons is this much above average. And then the way that works is in each at bat, the the pitcher gets hurt a little or helped a little, depending on the overall range of the guys that are playing behind him at that at bat. So if you have Simmons, you happen to have a team of a bunch of good. Fielders like him. Your pitcher who has a 3.5 ERA in real life might end up the season in score sheet with a 3.2 ERA because he's got all these guys that are taking away hits from the other team. Um, and so it, it certainly affects a player's worth. Keeping things simple because his fielding is incredible, but, you know, he's an average hitter and his fielding is so good that he still becomes one of the more valuable shortstops in the game, uh, which is certainly reflects real baseball.
0: And, Jeff, how does the game engine in Scoresheet respond to player injuries that take place in real time during the during the week? Do you lose a guy when uh, when his team loses a guy?
1: Yeah, if a guy gets hurt during the week and only gets 12 at-bats for the Angels, he's only going to get 12 at-bats for you. Um but we have automatic substitution because it is a weekly game. We don't want to make you, you know, kind of not have a shortstop. Plus, it's a simulation. You do have to have a batting order and a guy at every position. So we have you draft a fairly large 35-player team before the season starts. So Everybody has a backup. Um, and then if you run out of backups, you know, you have two catches on your team. One gets hurt and the other only plays two games. We get everybody kind of an unlimited number of unnamed minor leaguers who are almost just placeholders. And you know, they hit; they rarely get. Well, they almost never get an extra base hit. They get a hit once in a while. They bat about a hundred, so they keep playing. But it's not like a, a weekly roto game where if you have Rizzo on your team and he gets hurt, you just go a whole week with no production. You know, and most people, especially first base or outfield. Now they've got a backup. We plug the backup in automatically because on your lineup, you know, if you have three backup outfielders, you've listed them on the bench in the order you want them to play if you need them. So we'll move the guy in that has playing time. That's the highest rated guy on your bench, and he will just automatically play for you until your hopefully starter comes back next week
0: and if not the next week the owner himself has to make the the roster adjustment lineup adjustment and so forth to reflect the fact that that player he knows is going to be out he's on the 15 dl or il i guess they call it and uh, or he's out for 60 days or we know at the start of the week when we set our lineups that the player is not going to be in his major league lineup. Therefore, we now have to make the substitution. Or would if I left him in there, would the software still make the substitution for me?
1: Yeah, the so you can you can leave your lineup as you would want it if everyone's healthy, as long as you want it. The, the program will automatically keep moving bench players up for you. So you know, if there's a batting order which gets juggled a little bit by the program. Um, You know, for instance, if you have a really good hitting short set, a Lindor stop and he's batting third, then you have some scrub as your backup stop, you probably want him batting third. So our program will try to juggle the lineup a little bit for you so that the sub bats closer to where you might want him. But it doesn't do a great job, obviously. So if you have Lindor and you know he's on the 15-day, yeah, D L I L whatever you want to call it. Um, you're better off taking him out of your lineup for a week or two and and making an, a lineup where your sub shortstop is batting exactly where you want him. But the program will, you know, if you're going a safari in Africa for three weeks, um, it will keep playing the sub that you have on the bench for you as long as needed. So that kind of goes back to the time commitment. You know, most people that are playing a simulation are are fairly dedicated. They're going to, you know, it's pretty easy to change your lineup every week. It's up there on the web. You just fiddle around a little bit and send it in. But, the program will keep substituting semi-intelligent way for you as long as needed.
0: And what are the positional eligibility rules?
1: Uh, on the player list, at the start of it, the they qualify to the position from last year. And that, that's 20 games. So, if you're a shortstop, but you also played 20 games at set base. you qualify both. And then during the season, it takes 10 games of a position to qualify. So if Nolak plays 10 games as a catcher for Seattle, he'll become catcher eligible for game during the season this year. And then, uh, so yeah, 10 games during the season and 20 games to carry that qualification into next year
0: Jeff this has been interesting so far I'm going to take a break uh, do a little business and then when we come back maybe talk a little bit about strategies about the current situation in Major League Baseball and how that's affecting things and maybe a few players uh, and uh, hope we'll keep this momentum that we've got going can you hang in there for 30 seconds or so Oh, as long as you want Jeff Barton runs score sheet baseball And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick David. That sad minor chord version of Take Me Out to the Ball Game was played by the fine classical guitarist and a pretty classic center fielder, Bernie Williams. Now let's get to part two of our Tuesday Tout feature interview with Jeff Barton from Scoresheet Baseball. Jeff, welcome back. Hi,
1: Patrick. Good to be with
0: you. We've been talking about Scoresheet Baseball and... And most of the fantasy players I know who enjoy sim games like to try unorthodox strategies or a lot of them, maybe not in 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 your experience, because I probably hang around with a rarefied kind of baseball fan, but I know players who are in simulation games, including yours, who tried to use the opener approach years before it appeared in Major League Baseball. I know other guys who practiced uh, leverage management tactics in their bullpens. No such thing as a closer. I want my best guy in in the worst situation. And our mutual friend, Gene McCaffrey, has used a batting order tactic that has the best hitter first, Mike Trout, the second best hitter second, Anthony Rendon, and so on down the list if you're talking about the Angels. All of these players have said that their willingness to be unorthodox has led to winning in their sim leagues, but the counter is that such tactics are sometimes gaming the system. They're gaming the scoring rules or the algorithm by exploiting ways in which the sim is clearly not an accurate reflection of real major league baseball and not an accurate reflection of things that would make sense. How open is Score Sheet to experimentation like this and unorthodox lineup management? Um pretty
1: open I would say the one thing we don't allow is we don't let people bat pitchers eight. We just don't have it in our game. But other than that, we're fairly open to it. And I think, well, I think some of those things work really well, especially relievers. One thing about our game that's always been true compared to Roto is that saves real life. Saves just do not matter in our game. What matters is how well the pitcher pitches. Um, and I think part of why real-life managers don't do leverage in their bullpen, don't bring in Chapman in the eighth inning when the bases are loaded and Trout is coming up like they should, is because Chapman's agent calls the manager and says, hey, my guy can't get a save if he's pitching in the seventh or eighth inning. How's he going to make 25000000 million? Don't do that again. We don't have that problem in a fantasy league. And so a lot of our managers, I think, Will bring in their better pitchers early if need be, um, without worrying about real life. Same with openers. You know, you don't have to worry about a starting pitcher get, getting bent out of shape because he didn't get to start. Um, and then, and the lineup thing that uses a, a fair number of people do different lineups in score sheet than their real life manager uses. Like you said, that the batting Willie Mays first back in the day, or Mike Trout first. You know, it's, it's you want to get those guys as many at-bats as you can. Um, I think that the gaming of the system isn't nearly as big a problem in our game as in the historical Sims because the stats aren't known. When, if you know the stats, you can really do some things, especially with pitchers, that you would never do in real life because you don't know that this guy that's usually is not a very good pitcher, had the greatest month of his career because you're having to turn in lineups and score sheet before you know what they did. So I don't think the gaming of the system is quite the problem in score sheets. It is in a historical sim. But certainly people play around with things. They'll start pitchers that they know aren't going to pitch five or six innings or they'll, like you said, bat Mike Trout first. And it's it's kind of a fun thing to do, especially – if maybe later on in the season you just haven't had a great year, you're going to miss the playoffs anyhow. In that case, you might as well try, you know, do I want everyone to steal? Do I want no one to steal? Um, Do I want to never, ever sacrifice bunt? Those kind of things, you know, are kind of fun to play around with.
0: One aspect of it that I always thought would be interesting to in those sim leagues and I played very basic ones when I was a kid they were all like Babe Ruth, Ted Williams, that was your player pool and rolling rolling regular six-sided dice and stuff I don't I don't even remember who it was I think it was a sports illustrated board game that my buddy had Yeah and it was it, it was pretty basic but still we you know we did start messing around with uh of course when you first get it you're going to have Gary batting third and Ruth batting fourth and then you start thinking well you know maybe i maybe i'll move them up in the order maybe i'll put them four four guys apart so they can get both get a grand slam you know stuff like that weird stuff like that and one of the things about about the uh, availability of lineup setting and and t- uh, tactical adjustments that you can make in simulation games i think that's really interesting is In regular fantasy baseball, it's like we feel like we're trying to outsmart or keep up with real front office general managers. And in the sim games, it's more like we're trying to outsmart or keep up with or or outthink the field managers. And in a lot of ways, that's more interesting because it's less like you're sitting behind a desk uh, filing contracts and more like you're out there, you know, flashing the signals or banging on the garbage can if you're in Houston and making things happen in a more real, direct way.
1: Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, like I said, I'm not a road history expert by any means. I just play enough to know how it works. Um, you know, one of the things I find really frustrating, is, like a lot of people, I think, is trying to guess who some manager is going to use as their closer that season or that month or even that week. Um, so you don't have that problem in a sim. You know, like Emilio Pagan got traded to Padres where they already have Kirby Eights, I think it is, to get the saves but he's going to be just invaluable in the score sheet as he was before the trade, assuming he pitches well. And so you don't have to worry so much about how some manager is going to use him. You do have to play the manager game a little bit of who's going to get playing time. Um, You know, having a catcher on your team that only gets four at-bats a week because his real-life manager doesn't play him definitely comes into play. If if you think Dusty Baker is going to do nothing but, play veterans, then drafting some young up-and-comer isn't going to help you much because he's just going to sit on the bench. But, yeah, I think you know it's just more like real baseball. And so you're, you're making decisions on a player's ability and not worried so much about what his manager is going to do. It's what you as the manager want to do.
0: We've been talking about the – lack of real baseball because of the COVID situation and everybody's trying to hunker down. What is Scoresheet doing without actual games upon which to rely for the game outcomes that you use to create the sim?
1: Well, for one, hopefully, for all of us, life gets back to normal sooner or not later. But for at least the next few weeks, I think we're going to try to play a variety of exhibition games or Games that would actually be good for people to try out different lineup strategies. I think we're going to play a few weeks' worth of games based on last year's stats. So instead of using what players do in real life week one games in 2020, we'll use the stats from week one in 2019 and play with the games. And then the same week two and three. and, And whether we do that for two weeks or four weeks or six weeks, I think we'll. Be greatly dependent on the kind of feedback we get, and then when people kind of get tired of that, I think we're going to switch over and try to do a few weeks worth of games based on projected 2020 stats. You know, we'll use BBHQ's projections or Baseball Prospectus's Pagoda projections, or or probably a combination of three or four sites' projections, and we'll play games using those. I don't know. Maybe run some mock drafts, but yeah, at least with a sim, you know, we can we can play games based on I don't know. If fake stats is the right word, but like I said, past stats or projected stats, and people at least will hopefully get a little more feel of real baseball, kind of like folks watching old World Series on t- TV now because there's no real sports to watch on TV. <laughs>
0: Jeff, I talked on last week's three-minute warning uh, comment that leagues could use uh, purely simulated games from a source creating game and player outcomes by using pure algorithms from past seasons, as you said, kind of like using the projections. How might that work uh, if, say, this COVID situation gets worse, the season is suspended longer than expected or is canceled outright? It seems like the the behind-the-scenes work that you guys have done to create these outcomes, which is basically looking at what happened, taking uh, some aspects of it and rolling some dice— it doesn't seem like that big of a stretch to take the basic player skills, maybe using some stat cast data and that kind of stuff and creating the necessary game environment using algorithms that you could actually create an entirely fictitious league using created stats that would be relatively recognizable to people who look at the end, maybe end of the year stats and say, oh, look, Mike Trout came up with a Mike Trout like season or, or, you know, Miguel Sano came up with a relatively Miguel Sano-like season and just split it up in unusual or not unusual, but in random ways to to gamify the outcomes on a week-by-week basis so that you can have game-by-game outcomes, head-to-head outcomes.
1: Um, well, you put that better than I could, probably. We um, thought about that a little. It's not... I think, or at least on, if we tried to kind of create change around our program to do that it was generate a season's worth of stats based on the last three years player stats and some some idea of who's gonna be in, who's not gonna be jerk. I'm I am i am kind of hoping that the amount of weeks or even months it would take for that month and they'll be playing real baseball. Uh, I think someone is gonna probably do that. Um, I think specifically the score sheet We're just not really set up to generate stats based on old stats that would be meaningful. I mean, we could do a lousy job pretty easily, but I think, to be honest, probably the better stats to use would be people that more or less make a living projecting stats. I think they can, you know, we could play games and all that, but I'm not sure that what we came up with for Mike Trout to do for the season would be any more meaningful than what BBHQ says Mike Trout's going to do this season. We could at least generate weekly stats, I guess, so we could put in the variables. You know, Trout didn't do this that well this week because he faced Scherzer and Verlander and three other great pitchers. But I think the using the projections and then playing games using those is probably the direction we would go, though I'm guessing somebody is gonna do what you said because that certainly is another way to go
0: yeah it seems to me like a business opportunity if you could convince the fantasy baseball marketplace that the that the outcomes that are being presented are truly random but fit into the general patterns of player performance especially the way you guys do with uh, you know a a a better pitcher is going to constrain even the better hitter's outcomes, and a worse pitcher is going to allow better. And you could figure out a way to match that kind of stuff up. I wonder if somebody's going to come up with a plan to say, "Look, we're going to create an entirely virtual baseball season. We'll publish the stats every week of what every guy did, and then if you want to use them, you pay us sixty bucks for a league or whatever, and you can use them and and, and pick up when uh, when regular baseball restarts. You can keep your stats and just move forward. I, I don't know. I, th- I think it could happen. I, I'm I'm curious to see if it'll happen. We'll put it that way. Uh, you're listening to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt with Jeff Barton from ScoreSheet Baseball. And Jeff, you said in an article I read that the biggest mistake Roto players make when they're drafting a ScoreSheet team is they rely on their old Roto thinking uh, to determine value. You said dr- they should draft players not on their Roto values but on their real values. Um, maybe explain what you meant by that.
1: I'm um, sure. Yeah. I've written draft aids over the years that basically try to hammer the point home. So, there's a couple things to that. One is, you know, uses steals and runs scored, because they want to have some measure of speed. Um, and then, you know, winning a steal category is just as good as winning a, a batting average category. And so, people draft Billy Hamilton really high, because they think all by himself he might win him a steal category. Whereas, you know, Billy Hamilton is just not very valued as a real baseball player, and certainly not a third round pick like he used to be in rotisserie. So, one thing you have to do when you're drafting for score sheet is not try to win a category, but basically just draft a guy. If Dodgers you are your favorite team and the Dodgers were drafting a team from scratch, who would you draft to play for the Dodgers in real life? Um, You don't want to worry about categories, and then the stats that do matter the most are the same ones that matter the most in real baseball, which for hitters is generally on-base percentage. Not just, you know, I think most serious baseball fans understand that on-base percentage is a much more valuable statistic than batting average because the old saying that a walk is as good as a hit, if there's no one on-base, a walk is exactly as valuable as a single. Um, Obviously, if there are people on-base, it's not, but Just getting on base so the guy behind you can hit a home run is valuable. So on-base percentage and slugging percentage are the two most important stats for hitters in our game. And for pitchers, it's ERA and and whip. Well, whip more for relievers. If they come in and there's two men on base, you don't really want to give up a hit-field score. But you don't want to worry about the team-dependent stats like runs scored, RBIs, pitcher wins, because those have a lot to do with, your teammates in real life. It's its hard to win a game if you're pitching for the Giants. They only score two runs every game. Um, so you really want to look at the individual dependent stats, like you said, on percentage and ERA, and you want to you wanna stay away from the guys that aren't really that great a pitcher, but their manager loves to give them saves, and so they move way up the draft board in rotisserie, but not score sheet.
0: When I was thinking about this, I thought the, f- the first guy that popped into my mind is having a real value disparity is going to be a guy like Miguel Sano. He's going to hit lots of home runs. He's going to hit for a lot of power. He draws a fair number of walks. So his on-base percentage is usually pretty good, but his fielding is atrocious. And because uh, your format penalizes guys who are bad fielders that is makes them less valuable to the team context are there any other players like that who jump out at you among hitters among position players whose value is uh, way different in uh, in score sheet than it is in rotisserie whether higher or lower
1: um well i think it's just generally the guys that have lousy batting averages but actually get a lot of walks you know like i mean miguel cabrera even though he's slumped incredibly the last couple of years, he still has a really good on-base percentage. Um, and so I think in score sheet he's probably worth more than in Rotisserie, where walks don't do you much good. Jay um, Bruce, for years, used to have a really good on-base percentage. Um, so I, I guess I don't specifically, well, Cabrera, Alex Gordon, I was looking at him, his on-base percentage last year was a lot better than his batting average. Um, guys like that. And then I think the bigger guys are just the pitchers. Like I guess I mentioned Emilio Pagan earlier. It just doesn't matter that he won't get any saves if Yates gets every one of them as long as he's striking 11, 12 guys out per inning and has a low ARA. Because in scoring, you know, pitchers just don't go eight, nine innings anymore. So you can't just trot a starting pitcher out there having pitch eight innings and then you have your closer come in. Just like real life, you got to have something good the 6th inning, the 7th inning, and the 8th inning. Um, so those guys, the the middle relievers that are just lights out, you don't have to worry so much about how they're getting used in real life as far as what inning. You just want to draft a bunch of them so that you can win games because it doesn't help you much to be ahead 3-1 to one in the 5th inning if you give up 6 runs in the 6th, 7th, and 8th inning.
0: Plus, as you said, if you happen to have a, an Emilio Pagan who doesn't uh, get drafted because everybody else in your league thinks he's not going to get saves, not realizing that that doesn't matter because you decide when that pitcher's going to get the save opportunity and presumably uh, keep a game from being lost, which is which is the end result that you're trying to get. And I think that's something that's really important to always keep in mind with these Sims is that you're not amassing stats. You're trying to figure out ways to apply hitter talents and pitcher talents in context to win a game that they're in. And I think that's a huge difference. You know who struck me while I was listening to you about uh, on-base percentage? In Toronto, there's a kid, Kevin Biggio, Craig Biggio's son, of course. And I drafted a couple of batting average leagues, and he was valued kind of down in the middle, 14th round, 13th round, because his batting average is so low at 230-ish. But when I drafted uh, uh, American League Telt Wars, which does use on-base percentage, all of a sudden, he's like the second or third uh, second baseman off the list because uh, his on-base percentage is 360. So he's got a 130-point difference between batting average and his on-base percentage. That's a huge difference, and I imagine that probably plays in score sheet. It definitely does. And, you
1: know, I think it plays in real life, too, that the general managers and on-field managers these days in baseball are not um, dumb. They can read numbers. They understand that, you know, I don't think the on-field manager is mind if Vigio hits 230, if he has a 345 on-base percentage. Um, so, yeah, I think if you can find those guys, then, you know, that was that Moneyball book that a lot of us have read from the A's with, 10 15 years ago that was one of the things they looked for was guys who got a lot of walks because at the time it was greatly undervalued in baseball um it's not nearly as much anymore but if you can find things that maybe the guys in your league aren't paying much attention to they for some reason are looking at batting average and you can find the guy with the on base, good on base percentage it's a big advantage
0: you mentioned another example of hidden player value that is more contextual in nature in drafting two players that you can platoon at a single position. And I'm old enough that I remember Earl Weaver in in Baltimore with John Lowenstein and Gary Renikey platooning them right-handed hitter left-handed hitter and combining the two of them I think he ended up with a 330 batting average I don't know what their on-base percentage would have been but with a 330 batting average ish and a whole bunch of uh, RBIs and runs scored because both of them could hit opposite hand pitching like crazy and Weaver said okay we'll put a right-handed hitter against left-handed pitchers and we'll reverse the field and we'll have a, a composite left fielder who's going to be very very productive and help us win games and the lineup setting apparatus in score sheet, uh, if I understood you correctly from before, you can put in two different lineups depending on whether you're facing right or left-handed pitching. You could take advantage of that.
1: That's correct. We, platooning is actually still a big part of score sheet. Um, you know, it's died out a little real life well because these teams are carrying like team pitchers on average out of a 25-man roster, so they just don't have a bench big enough to do a whole lot of platooning, though they are supposed to go to 26 players this year. But in score sheet, um, we still allow platooning. We, we let you list 30 guys on a lineup card. So there are, you can list an entirely different net versus a right-handed starting pitcher and versus a left-handed starting pitcher. and so You, don't get, you know, a Freddie Freeman that you're going to play every day at first base, you can later on in the draft get a decent right-handed hitting first baseman and a decent left-handed hitting first baseman. And if you platoon him, especially if you draft the guys who have bigger splits than average, you know you can get Freddie Freeman production out of two 13th, a 12th and a 13th round pick or 13th and a 16th without having to spend a first or a second round pick getting a, a Freddie Freeman guy. Um, so platooning is, is definitely a big part. And I'm like you. I grew up were managers platoons and
0: it was it was just a big part of baseball you're listening to baseball hq radio patrick david with jeff barton from scoresheet and jeff i'd like to ask our experts to talk about players they think are going to be boons and banes for the fantasy season assuming we have a fantasy season um let's start with your boons these are guys you just think should interest our listeners. Uh, we'll start in the American League. Uh, who's a hitter you think could surprise and be a delightful surprise for his um, his owners this year?
1: Well, I mean, not really I guess, but I really think Fran Mill is. Uh, I've got him in a number of leagues after because I guess that means I like him more than anybody else, which not be a, a great thing, but he's a guy I've been targeting and thus I ended up with, with him. I think that you know, he's. I'm kind of a one of those post hype guys a little bit. I still believe that picking guys that when they were 22 were getting all this hype, and then because they were young, maybe they didn't do as well as people thought. And now they're more like 26 and they kind of blossom. So he, would, you know, he's not a great surprise, but he's one of the guys I've been getting in a lot of leagues.
0: And in the National League, who could be a boon hitter? makes sense. That's my guy and I'm sticking with it. And over to the mound, uh, who's an American League pitcher you like as a boon?
1: A couple of guys like Ryu and Rich Hill who get injured every year it seems like, but have great stats when they do pitch. I think those two guys and guys like them might you know, be some of the very few people that will benefit from this whole COVID virus thing because if there's only, say, 120 games, um, maybe they'll be able to stay healthy for a large percentage. So those guys, it, I wasn't targeting them so much back in February because I don't like picking guys who get injured all the time. But I think if I was drafting a team right now, they would be a lot higher on my draft list.
0: And in the National League, any pitchers who fit that bill? Um. Not well. I, I've already talked about Pagan a bunch. I was going to list the one one reliever, and
1: he's my guy that I think is falling way down draft boards. So I already mentioned him. So I just to pass on the other ones.
0: Jeff Barton's Boones, Fran Morales of Cleveland, Nick Senzel of Cincinnati. Uh, Hyung Jin Ryu in Toronto, Rich Hill in Minnesota, and Emilio Pagan of San Diego. Let's move over to the Baines now, Jeff. These are guys about whom you think listeners should be cautious uh, in the 2020 season, truncated or not. Uh, American League hitter who could be a bane. I'm not the first one to come up with this series. I, I guess I've been staying away
1: from all the Houston hitters. I mean, I don't think that Bregman's going to suddenly be bad or – you know, is going to be horrible or is going to knock the pitch. but I think they're all liable to pretty significantly underperform what they've done the last couple three years and thus underperform their draft position. I just, you know, I think if pitchers throw at them, it's hard to imagine umpires really going out of their way to protect them. I think that just getting booed mercilessly every time you go in a visiting park, it's point over months of playing baseball is going to wear on it. So I guess, you know, I, I really, have. and it's not so much that I feel I don't draft them because I'm mad because they cheated. You know, I that's kind of a complicated story, the cheating. People have been stealing signs forever, though they obviously took it to a whole new level. I just think, though, from a fantasy standpoint, those guys are just not as a whole going to put up anywhere near the kind of numbers that they have the last three years, and even though people have all discounted them a little bit, I
0: think they should be discounted a lot more than I've seen them going in drafts the top Houston players. In the National League, a bean hitter or hitters? Oh, this will not be popular.
1: I, you know, I really like Christian Yellick, like everybody, but um, I'm just not willing to make him my first or second pick in the national league. I guess first pick and you know, while there's a kuna and, and yeah, you know, I just I think that I don't have many league because I'm not willing to pick him with the first or second or make him the highest second highest paid player in an auction. Um I think he'll have a good year. I would be very surprised if he's in the top two or three in the MVP voting this year. That's just my gut feeling anyhow.
0: Well, I hope you're wrong about that. I picked him second in a in a league. Uh, who, over to the mound again, uh, Bain, American League pitcher.
1: Uh, Julio Teheran, I think. So I, I, something about going to the Angels seems to not work well for pitchers. Um, you know that that's probably not greatly backed up. I said, you know, he's not young anymore. I drafted him a lot of years, but now he's like 29 years old. He did have a pretty good year last year, but I I think he's getting, he's another guy I just didn't end up with in drafts because I wasn't willing to pay the price that other people are, and I guess I have to back that up by saying I don't think he'll be worth his average draft position.
0: And finally, a National League pitcher you think could be a bane?
1: I think Kershaw is
0: going to drop off the cliff
1: this year. Um, Now, let me preface that by saying I'm a huge Giants fan which automatically makes me an anti-Dodger um, but his velocity is just down and I just I I really you know he's getting drafted as a young candidate anyhow but I I could imagine him really having a struggle this year
0: Jeff Barton's Baines, all the Houston hitters, Christian Yelich of Milwaukee, uh, Julio Tehran of the Angels, Clayton Kershaw, also in Los Angeles with the Dodgers. Uh, Jeff, tell our listeners where they can keep up with Jeff Barton, Scoresheet Baseball, read all about it.
1: Well, we have a website, scoresheet.com. Um, you can read all about the game. Um, you can send me emails. I'm happy to answer questions. Jeff at scoresheet.com. Um, yeah, hopefully we'll all get baseball back soon. And if you want to try something a little different than a, a category game, um, we'll still form leagues once baseball looks like it's going to start. And we actually, because we do a lot of keeper leagues, we have some orphan keeper teams available, so you could jump right into that if you want. But you know, let's all hope baseball comes back soon—a sign that things are getting better.
0: Absolutely right. Uh, couldn't say it better myself. I, I appreciate, Jeff, you taking the time to talk about score sheet Baseball and baseball in general. I hope it does come back and everything goes well. And uh, I'll talk to you again during the season, I'm sure. And if not, I'm sure I'll see you at First Pitch Arizona.
1: You will. And thanks very much for having me on
0: your show. Jeff Barton runs the simulation baseball site and game score Sheet Baseball. Now it's time for our HQ Radio commentaries. I'll have the three-minute warning in just a minute. And leading off, it's our frequent flyer comment, where we apply BaseballHQ.com tools to pick out players on whom you might want to take a flyer, because they could be available late in your draft, and they have the potential to deliver big returns. This week's frequent flyer is San Diego pitching prospect Mackenzie Gore, and here to tell you more is Baseball
2: HQ analyst Alex Becky. He's quite possibly the best arm in the minors right now, according to the 2020 Minor League Baseball Analyst, and he's a dynasty darling, according to Ron Chandler's 2020 Baseball Forecaster. So just who is he? Of course, we're talking about 21-year-old San Diego Padres left-hander Mackenzie Gore. An athletic, polished starter who has moved quickly through the Padres' system and profiles as a top-of-the-rotation linchpin, according to the 2020 baseball forecaster. Amazingly, Mackenzie Gore has risen quickly through the ranks, arriving at AA Amarillo and officially becoming a sod poodle on July 9, 2019, where he promptly struck out 25 batters in five starts on his way to racking up 135 Ks in only 101 innings pitched while compiling a 169 ERA through two levels of the minors in 2019. Wow. But even though he was drafted third overall by the Padres in 2017, he probably wasn't drafted at all in your league, assuming that your draft was already held. Of course, if your league decided to wait, as many leagues have, he's almost certainly available, except perhaps in dynasty leagues, for this dynasty darling. After all, Mackenzie Gore has logged only 21 innings pitched at AA for the Sod Poodles. That's why Mackenzie Gore, like all of our frequent flyers, should be considered to be a long shot, who may be worth a flyer if he is still available late in your draft. And he probably will be. Then again, there always seems to be a market for left-handed starters at the big league level. And according to our own Chris Blessing in his March 19th Miners column on BaseballHQ.com, Mackenzie Gore's stock for 2020 is skyrocketing. That's definitely good news. Despite the great corona crash of 2020, where almost all player stocks have been dropping as rapidly as the overall market, Chris sees several reasons for optimism, and you should too. Many stock analysts might point to the buy low, sell high adage. Good advice. And notwithstanding Chris's warning against taking a flyer on Wander Franco by believing they will debut this season, our frequent flyer from last week, hey, it's only a flyer, right? Don't sell a farm at your draft to wonder about Wander. Nevertheless, Chris does correctly point out that Mackenzie Gore will likely not be subject to an innings limit cap in 2020 if he debuts in a shortened season, which is pretty much a foregone conclusion at this point. So, hey. Don't sell a farm to draft Wander Franco. Just kidding, Chris. But feel free to take a flyer and perhaps even buy low on Mackenzie Gore as our frequent flyer for this week. Plus, be sure to check out Chris Blessing's Miners column on BaseballHQ.com. It's fantastic. For Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Alex Becky of BaseballHQ.com.
0: Alex Becky is an analyst at BaseballHQ.com and our frequent flyer columnist here at BaseballHQ Radio. Now it's time for the 3-Minute Warning, my weekly comment on baseball and fantasy baseball, and this week I want to talk about BaseballHQ Radio. Ordinarily, you know I like to treat this segment as a chance to be a little lighthearted, have some fun, but I can't do that this week. Instead, it's my sad task to let you know that this will be the last edition of BaseballHQ Radio for a while. We're putting the show on hiatus until Major League Baseball announces a date for the resumption of the 2020 season. This wasn't a decision that was made by Ray or Brent or the other decision makers at Baseball HQ. In fact, Ray had asked me to keep the pod going as recently as a week or two ago. This was all my decision, and I'd like to take a minute to explain why I made the decision I made. There are two main reasons. First, it was just getting really hard to talk about baseball and fantasy baseball when there is no baseball or fantasy baseball. I'm fortunate that I get to talk to some of the smartest experts in this business, both from BaseballHQ.com and from all kinds of other sources. And you better believe I'm going to miss those conversations. With all of those guys talking fantasy baseball, it's been a real joy right from the time we started doing this, when Guglielmo Marconi invented podcasting, although I might have that part a little confused. In an ironic way, being able to talk with such smart, experienced, articulate fantasy baseball experts started making it clear to me that we were just running out of things to talk about. And instead of forcing a show out every week, I felt like we'd be better off waiting until the boys of summer are back on the field and our fantasy leagues are up and running again. The second reason for the hiatus is that I recently took on a new full-time job. I'll be working in the communications area for one of Canada's big three telecommunications companies. How I found this gig is an interesting story, but way too long to cover in just three minutes. But if you see me in Phoenix in the fall at first pitch, be sure to ask. All it'll cost you is a tall, cold draft. Ah, Rats, I wish I hadn't said draft. Anyhow, the new job is going to keep me pretty occupied for the next few weeks as I get up to speed on the various files that we'll be working on and on the unfamiliar technologies the company and my teammates use to share ideas. If everything works out by the time I'm up to speed, the virus will have been beaten. And I'm 100% sure the virus is going to be beaten. And the sun will be shining and we'll have baseball back in our lives. In the meantime, at the risk of veering off the narrow path of baseball talk, possibly giving Ray a heart murmur, please let me ask that you do your part in beating the bug. Stay home as much as you can. Act like you know you have the virus and like you know everyone you run into has it too. Wash your hands a lot, every chance you get. And in general, as Sergeant Phil Esterhaus always said, in a TV reference that will resonate better with the older members of the Baseball HQ Radio listener team, hey, 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 let's be careful out there. Oh, one more thing. Don't be a hoarder. Nobody needs that much toilet paper. For Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Patrick Davitt of BaseballHQ.com. I promise you I will be back with the three-minute warning, and it will continue every week. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for Tuesday, March the 24th. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 16 of the 2020 fantasy baseball season and our last show for a while. I also want to thank our guest for this Tuesday Tout Edition, Jeff Barton from Scoresheet Baseball. Jeff is a great guy to talk with, as you heard, a very passionate guy about baseball and fantasy baseball, and we will have him back when the season actually gets going. Our frequent flyer commentator was Alex Becky. I'm Patrick Davitt, the host of Baseball HQ Radio. I sure hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Also, remember you can stay in contact with Baseball HQ on Facebook and on our Twitter feed at Baseball HQ. You can also subscribe to my personal Twitter feed at Patrick Davitt. Thanks again for listening. Again, this is our last show. Until baseball starts again, and we will come roaring back. With more Tuesday Tout Editions and more Friday News and Comment Editions of the Podcast with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for Winners, it is Baseball HQ Radio. Stay safe, look out for each other, and so long.
1: Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators, or directly from BaseballHQ.com, where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.